Welcome to Table Stakes, presented by Xenial, where some of the most innovative and tech-savvy leaders in the enterprise restaurant scene discuss the technology they are using to solve the toughest issues they face. I'm host, Andy Grindstaff, restaurant enthusiast, technology optimist, and one of the product leads here at Xenial. And I'm Tama Looney, analytics fanatic, lifelong learner, diversity champion, and head of client success for Global Payments Ace Division. And today I'm joined by the lovely Anne Olinger, who is the VP of Analytics and Business Products for Global Payments. Welcome, Anne. Thanks, Tamla. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely a pleasure for those listeners here. Anne and I work very closely together. She leads the majority of the team uh, here at Global Payments, where it comes up with really exciting and innovative ideas, products, services that really help other merchants and brands to grow their business. So, Anne, I am delighted to have you today. Uh, Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, I'd love to. I'm going to start at the gate, um, self-identify that I am a, a mother of three. I am a native to the Pacific Northwest, and I, as much as I've traveled, I've never really found anything I love more than being out here, uh, a better place to live, I would say. And then I kind of accidentally fell into the tech space it, in such that I came in with a design background and then got my first job as a temp at a tech company and found the best intersection of my skills and interests in one place and a viable career field, and then really plotted a trajectory from there. Uh, it's led me to a lot of different types of opportunities, different size companies, and eventually into the product role, as Tama mentioned, that I have today, where I get to do a lot of innovative things on the technology space, but more of my passion is to lead and mentor teams which I've been able to grow and do here at Gold Payments. Thank you so much, Anne. A leader who really owns their career path is exactly what I would see to you. And it looks a little bit different. So I know you started in the design and you've done a lot of different things within here. How do you encourage those wonderful people that work with you and for you to do the same? Now, I have a couple of philosophies that I use, and I certainly didn't come up with them on my own. But the first thing I do when I meet with a, a new employee or someone who wants to do like an informational interview and understand the space is to get a gauge of what they'd like to keep doing in their current role, what they'd like to start doing in, in either the current role or the next one. And what if they could ma- wave, if they could wave a magic wand, what would they stop doing? And I always have to preface that that's not a trick question, right? Like, Maybe you hate doing paperwork and I can't magically make it so you don't do paperwork, but we could probably find you a role that where you do less uh, detailed paperwork because you maybe need to be in a more conceptual or strategic role. And I, I did that with my own career, um, some because I had good mentors and managers early on that helped me do that. And then some because in agile methodology, it's kind of a common practice to look at what you'd like to keep start stop doing. Just started applying that a lens to my career. And So that's kind of like if you're in a space and trying to decide what to do next. If you're new and you just are trying to plot what your career path should be, uh, to me, I would like to start with um, what do you like doing? What are you good at? And what can you get paid for? Because if you only have two of those, you probably have a crappy job. Um, And if you (laughs) only have one of those, you probably have a really crappy job because like I love uh, to draw. I went to art school, but I didn't think that me being an illustrator would be the best career path. 
Uh, yeah, maybe somebody would have paid me for it and I was good at it, but I would have I liked doing it every single day. Uh, it didn't feel like it was right for me. And so finding that intersection is where I would encourage anyone if they want to be in tech, they want to be in HR, or they want to be selling knives door to door. Like, does it fit those things for you? That's awesome. All right, one of the pillars of diversity and inclusion that I've seen over the years is how diverse perspectives inspire innovation. Can you tell me a little bit about what that word means for you and how you foster it with yourself and with your team? Yeah, I, diverse perspectives is bringing the other into the room so and having a seat at the table. So in some cases, I may present as kind of a traditional white woman, but I've often been the youngest or the only female in a room in most of my career settings. And so I had a little taste of what it was like to be other. It wasn't purely the same as some who maybe have multiple unique identifiers in that space and would be categorized as maybe a double or a triple other, quote unquote, in like a research perspective. But what I found is the more of those perspectives you bring to the table, um, the better the ideas that are generated, because it, it, it creates a natural sense of inclusion of different perspectives in the decision making process from the beginning rather than retroactively trying to fit it in. Um, but I will say, like, that's not always easy and it doesn't always happen naturally that you have a team that just fits a lot of different perspectives, right? I've had teams that were very homogenous in age or at times very homogenous in race. One point I had a team that was almost all women, which was unique in my space, but still we had the tendency to become a lot alike. And so that as a leader, that second piece is intentionality and kind of over-indexing on what you're looking for when you hire so that at least your candidate pool coming in has more perspective so that you're choosing from a group that doesn't start out homogenous. Um, and then you can be intentional about how you build your teams or, or even who you include when you start a new project. All right. So let's talk about your role now, Anne. I know you have had really explosive career growth across a lot of industries, um, but talk to me about global payments. What drew you here? Uh, what is really, you know, your your key reason for staying here? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that. I also want to talk about something you touched on earlier is like my path to get here being a little unusual, right? I mean, there's this idea that we're on this ladder. And I think for a lot of people, especially women and new generations, it's not as direct of a corporate structure ladder as we used to think. And it's more of a jungle gym. And that's been my experience um, in the choice of roles I've taken is like, Sometimes I move laterally, sometimes I might even move back perception-wise by the world, but life probably wasn't set up to be as linear as we think it is supposed to be, and that's okay, right? Just happened to be like, I hit the right place, the right time, and a whole lot of hard work here. So when I first came into Global Payments, I knew I needed to make a change from my last company. It was definitely an intentional step in owning my career. Um, the company I was at was another tech company in the education space, but they were much smaller. And they are consistently rated one of the best places to work in the city, actually in the state of Oregon. They're excellent. Um, but what they needed me to do was to manage special projects and go into project management. And I knew that ultimately, it was one of those, I was good at it, someone would pay me for it, but I did not want to do it every day. Uh, so I knew I had to start looking elsewhere for my career to grow in the direction I wanted. And that's how I started looking in the space and ended up at what was then Heartland Payments. Uh, a colleague of Tamas and I both uh, was a mutual acquaintance, had just started at the company he referred me in. 
And then uh, the hiring manager was a little skeptical of me because he actually doesn't really like referrals <laughs> and uh, came in and, and secured a role that was a lateral move, but it was a hybrid role in design and product marketing. Uh, and at the time, it was a great fit for kind of the things I was looking for. And it happened to be within a year, Heartland was acquired by Global Payments. Within a few years after that, we made some other major acquisitions. We built the Xenial brand. We um, then acquired one of our other major competitors, Tesis. I went from working in a company of 100 people to working at Heartland with 3,000 people to working at a company with 24,000 people um, in the span of six years. So it was this huge jump. It also opened a lot of opportunity. There is this int intense kind of, I think, pressure to feel like during a merger or a big transition and change in your life, um, be it not even corporate, that there's a lot of risk and we forget to look for the opportunity. And in my case, like I had great managers who were like, no, there's so much opportunity and upside. So it was like, let's just embrace that. And in building a new product, it was a great space also for my career and timing because it opened up so much greenfield to move our product into. Uh, that we probably wouldn't have had uh, otherwise if it wasn't for the inorganic growth. It did mean a lot of work, hard work. It certainly meant a lot of hard work from my team and building out, going from a team of me and two developers to a team of 50 developers and, and you know, dozens of product people, all this work kind of within only a few years. But then it's just riding the wave, right? Like riding that wave of continued success and building upon it and then checking in with yourself if that's the space you want to continue to be in. That's great. And a great segue into really talking about that ownership of a career and how it doesn't have to be exactly linear. So thanks for that. All right. You have some really innovative, fun, cool products. And so I want to talk a little bit about just the process of innovation. We don't want to give away any of our secret sauce, Anne, but I would love to know how do you help to foster innovation within your team and within your group? Yeah, I, uh, innovation is such an interesting topic. It was, so for example, I met with a new designer we hired recently and we were talking about the aspect of creativity. And we get this idea sometimes, it starts when we're really young, that creativity is for artistic people. And people who draw well or know how to mold something and sculpt it. And we sometimes forget that, like, all of us are creative to some degree or another. And that is a huge benefit. It's like that diverse perspectives. And so encouraging the team to say, like, truly there are no, at least at first, there's no bad ideas. Because sometimes ridiculous ideas are what are truly innovative. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, which I think is trotted out a lot, but I like to use it with my team is that if Henry Ford would have asked people what they wanted, he would have built faster horses. Uh, it's like, I want people to imagine the car, right? And if we're asking people to imagine the car, it's going to sound ridiculous sometimes. And that's okay. So, and the reason I use that quote is the, the process of innovation starts with, for me, and this is my design thinking background of defining the problem. What are you really trying to solve for, right? Henry Ford was trying to solve that people wanted to get places faster. Uh, not that they necessarily, you know, wanted to travel by horse faster because that probably was car introduced things like comforts and convenience and stuff that the, the horse didn't have. It was a whole nother layer of problems he solved for on top of the core thing that clients, in his case, his customers were looking for. All right. And how do you continue to learn in order to stay up on top of things within your role? 
I would say I'm a curious person. And that has led me to seek out information in more than traditional sources. So I think sometimes we get in this zone, once we choose a a specialty to say like, I'm going to follow all, in my case, maybe like all product leaders, I'm only going to follow the product school and, um, you know, these folks that have Janny Ives from Apple, like they're the best minds in the space. And there's a place for that. But sometimes our ideas come from the rest of the influences on our lives. And so for me, I've invested more recently in in reading, like I'm reading Malcolm Gladwell's um, David and Goliath book, which is one of the ones I hadn't read of his. And that book is more about challenging how we think about the world versus just like how I do what I do well. So I try to flex the types of books I read. I also read one about being a good boss recently. So like getting those ideas from other spaces that are experts, but also tangentially related because oftentimes that's really what influences us we bring all those ideas together and it pushes our mind to think in a different way and what are you really digging into right now what are you most curious about right now um in terms of looking into things yeah personally it's much more i've become really introspective i don't know call it i'm not even middle-aged some may say i am i don't know like i'm an elder millennial right (laughs) getting to that point where i'm like okay i'm past my 20s uh what do i want the rest of this second half or third act whatever of my life and part of that's led me down a path to look at story and how we translate story in our brand in how we live our own lives Um, in our narratives that we create for our products, it's more intersectional than I realized. And it's more nuanced than I realized. And the intention that we put behind it has a lot of influence us as individuals and as teams. It gives us purpose. It gives us direction. And everybody wants to live a good story. But I think sometimes we forget that we get to author it ourselves, at least parts of it. and. Why not have it be the things that we're excited about? Why not create the memorable experiences in it? And that's just as true in some ways at work it is is at home. So that's what I've been, I would say the last, other than this, I just switched, but the last two or three books I read were about that. So I have a lot of curiosity. It's not something I gave a lot of thought to before. Yeah. Do you think COVID, well, we know COVID also is called the pink pandemic, right? So have you seen, not only within you and within your team and the industry as whole, we talk about it all the time, but how do you think it's impacted women? And what do you think that we can do to maybe help overcome that if it's a problem or embrace that if it's not? Yeah, I, for anyone who has a working woman in their life who has kids or even just working parents to some degree, I would think that we are guarding ourselves if we don't see it, especially folks with young children. Uh, Teenagers, right, they're affected, but they could be somewhat independent for eight hours a day where you needed to be on Zoom calls. That's not the case if you have a three-year-old and they're running around, jumping on tables and like pulling all the cereal out of your countertops when you're trying to keep them quiet. And so what I've seen is a number of women taking stock if they wanted to step back in their careers or making, uh, as parents, men and women, really hard choices about how much risk they were willing to tolerate for their children. Um, if they should put their kids in a daycare setting um, in April of 2020, 
right? If they should hire a nanny that they don't really know to come into their home and they don't know what she may, he or she may be doing outside the home and who they're in contact with. It forced us to have parents, especially mothers who take the brunt of the domestic work, make some hard reckonings within their own families and in their professional lives because we don't have the support set up. And that has to be at a much broader kind of societal level, I think, of a conversation about how we support parents, especially parents of young children and mothers. Um, and also division of labor. I'm really fortunate to have a partner who does predominantly stay home and during the pandemic took a step back from his career to be home with our children. Um, that's a unique position for a lot of women who are like me, uh, who have kids and who work full time. Uh, the other piece that's been really resonated with me and I don't think is talked about quite as much is there's a great study uh, that came out on 2021 of the effects of women in the workforce from the Lean In Org. And um, along with uh, McKinsey did uh, sponsored it, I think, and maybe it's their research. Either way, it talks about that women have taken on a third shift. So women, we already knew most were, you know, full-time, dedicated, focused to their work. Um, and they also take on more of the domestic work, be that household or children if they have them. Uh, but they're also taking on the brunt now we're seeing in this surge shift to work around diversity and inclusion and well-being. And that's statistically uh, monitored. It also is really telling that we've seen this big shift in the last few years for the better that most companies of any size or stature have something on their website that says how much they value diversity and inclusion. They also have proven it's good for business. So that makes sense. But the execution of it isn't generally being rewarded or um, measured, and thus the work is falling to the people who take it up as their task, as their cause, versus those who are challenged to do it professionally. And so it's been women. And same thing with well-being during the pandemic. It's women. The women are the ones who are on the phone when their employees break down. Women are on the ones who are on the phone when someone calls up and said, my kid's in the ER with COVID right? Not always. I don't want to downplace the men, place that men have here, but we've taken the brunt of it. And that's a weight that's carried differently and not talked about enough. I completely agree. And I loved that article too. And I probably will link it in here as we do share this. Uh, just because again, it was so potent. It was, so it resonated really well with me, all of the senior leaders on our staff that are women. Uh, so thank you again for sharing that. That's a great one. All right. So I want to pivot just a little bit um, and talk a little bit about what what excites you this year in terms of key initiatives that are coming out of your group. Anything you can share. I do know we're public. I do know there are some things that we can't, but I would love to hear anything that's really exciting to you about what's coming out from your team. Yeah. I, the one thing that we could definitely talk about, but hasn't got uh, a lot of um, we don't have a lot of clients who are exposed to it yet and because it's really fresh is our partnership with Google. So moving into the cloud, great, good technology sense of that. Uh, what, in this case, though, it's bringing additional Google products and tying them in with our own. So things like uh, you could set up a Google, ad, a Google ads campaign from our system, but then actually track using your payments data if it's successful um, without having to do a bunch of advanced conversion tracking or drop any code onto your website. That's the kind of stuff that moves the needle for a small business. So that's exciting to me. Uh, we are also breaking in further than we had before into additional um, 
breaking in further into data science and artificial intelligence. And so you're going to see some of that work starting to come out into new feature sets and things that we're doing and building into our engines in new and different ways. We'll put it that way, so I can talk about it too much in this year. And just working with the team and building that up as a practice has been exciting. So I, I know what's coming out next as I have the previews uh, is going to be really meaningful to the, the people who work with us and who trust us with their businesses. Absolutely. And one of the things that your team talks about quite often, and I think it comes partially because of the fact that we are a payments company, is data responsibility. Do you mind talking a little bit about data responsibility and how your team takes that into consideration as they're building out what we're working on and what the next generation of products are? Yeah, I think you get these a lot of these buzzy words around data responsibility, like governance and privacy and bias. And I don't say that like those words don't mean something. They do, but we've we've added more to them, like artificial intelligence. We've added more weight to them. And the reason in this case is because data responsibility is a valuable uh, protection in how we maintain and, and manage our data, but also have good data hygiene. It also, in this case, though, is a layer of protection that we don't have at the federal level. So you're seeing with responsibility to how data is handled at the individual level um, being delegated to municipalities and states. And we don't have one kind of, at least in the U.S., uh, one general way to say this is how you handle data responsibly, company X. And so companies are left to do it themselves, which means they just have they have to be the ones who are good stewards, but they don't have to be, right? So for us, it's it's being upfront of it in it of it because we feel like it's the right thing to do, and also in front of it because eventually we believe that the legislation is going to catch up, and we don't want to be behind either. Um, so it's twofold, right? It makes more sense from a compliance and risk perspective. It also makes a good sense from a, um, you know what's best for the world and probably us as individuals long-term. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Anne, you were chosen. And just so everyone knows, I chose Anne uh, like as one <laughs> of my first people. It has taken me almost a year and a half to get her um, on here. But she's taking Anne... us both. Taking us both. It was a lot of, fair, only one fair. of our doing. <laughs> fair. But I, Anne, you were chosen because you are definitely someone who inspires me. Talk to me a little bit about who or what inspires you. Ooh, yeah. I am I, <laughs> largely someone who is internally motivated. I want to say I don't have outer, external ex inspiration because I definitely do. Um, but I will start with there is a real value as a leader to having enough self-awareness and, and then self-confidence to be able to motivate yourself. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's just you in the room often, especially right now. It's just it's just one of us in the room. And so <laughs> there's something to fake in it till you make it, right? And, and giving yourself that gold star and, and chalking up your accomplishments, counting the things you're grateful for. Um, we're going to have frustrations in every day. Time box those in and then count the other things that you can be joyful for because that's going to motivate and propel you into the next day. And that, that's, kind of, that's what I've been focused on, especially like when I do some of that work in myself. But otherwise, I'm really inspired by the people who work with me and for me, uh, as Tama mentioned. Like some of the best parts of a job, the best jobs I've had have been working with really great people who love their jobs and wanted to be there, but really had your back. Um, and it's, it's 
In those cases, it's having someone to push you, uh, who pushes you to be better, who gives you honest feedback, who tells you when you're being an ass and when you could have been stronger. Those are the things that I want from the team, from my husband, um, to some degree, even from my children. And so they inspire me to be better at what I do professionally and in my personal life. That's great. All right, Anne, if you could step into my shoes, what should I have asked you that I did not ask you? Oh, see, I just talk so much. I got to leave a lot in there. So, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, I think, oh, I was going to give you a really hard question. I was like, oh, do I know the answer to that question? <laughs> I would say, do I have regrets in my career? In Ooh, the path good that I've one. Chosen? I like that. I'm now going to add that to my uh, questionnaire, but I want to hear it. Do you have regrets in your career? Let me start. I was thinking about, I read an article yesterday by a modern stoic. His name is Ryan Holiday, talking about uh, 34 regrets he had or 34 things he learned, but they were regrets uh, in his 34 years. And I was thinking like, do I have regrets? Because some of my regrets are like, I wrote all my wedding thank you cards and I never mailed them. I shipped them. I, I traveled between four different houses of moves before I finally recycled them because I had so much guilt. And I was like, what are you going to do with those seven years later in this case, right? Like now even more years, but I finally threw them out at seven years. Um, so with that said, in my career, there were places where I didn't take risks sooner. Um, but like generally the tools you have tomorrow aren't that different than the tools you have today. And I didn't make that up. It's actually from the same Ryan Holiday article I just happened to have read. But, and that is so true because we are like, well, I'll do it when I'm ready. But like, are you ever fully ready? Like maybe there's some places we should leave sooner. Um, there were also places where I let the affirmation of others guide my career uh, instead of turning inward and say, what do I want from my career? Um, I saw the opportunity and I kept writing with it in one case or another. And there were places where I made the U-turn myself. And the collegiate career is a great example of this. Started as a political science major. I got almost a senior status and said, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a lawyer after this. And went to art school, which is a big U-turn. But like, I could have done that sooner if I would have just been like, I always wanted to go to really go to art school. I just didn't think you could make a job at it. Um, so if I would have taken a little more assurance of myself, as much as I say I'm self-assured now, earlier places in my career, I think I would be more happy for happier for it uh, at this point. I love it. I'm going to have to think on that question because I think that's a, a really also, great one. It, I will say this. I don't want to use it or not, if we use the question or not. Um, regret's a funny thing because I don't know if even regret's the right word, but it's almost like if I looked back, would I have done something different with hindsight? Because in the moment, like I don't carry this stuff around and think I made this terrible choice. Right. And I also I do feel like I believe in that this there is a divine plan in the world. And so there's meaning behind anything you do and it can all get used for kind of your ultimate fate. Uh, everyone believes that, of course, but like that gives me some assurances that like my missteps are still are what made me and got me here. But that doesn't mean I still don't look back in hindsight and think, well, if I could have done it differently, I probably would have done these things differently. Well, the funny thing is what you just said is exactly 
Joseph uh, is is on the call too. He also he listens and does a ton of work. But it's exactly what we heard. Remember last time about the fact that not taking risks sooner. So I think it's so helpful. And it's something that I think, especially as women, we can hear and hold on to. And because I think we are risk averse, right? We are oftentimes thinking of this ladder that someone has created for us to climb instead of carving it out on our own. We are more content, I think, sometimes with not taking the risk because that's not typically what's rewarded in our daughters and things like that. So yeah. it, it is settle. a great... We settle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would, somebody gave me this advice the other day. He, I was with a mentor, a mentor of mine. He said, it's not that I'm worried about you settling. It's worry, it's that I don't want you to settle too early. Like, right. If that, that aspect of in any kind of stage of our life, sometimes we make these decisions and we just find the first safe thing and we latch onto it. And like, and then we stay there because it's, we get content, we get comfortable or we don't want the risks, right? Like at one point, I've been the only breadwinner. I, I can't take certain risks. Um, but there are other places in your life where that can be really motivating. That's what I captured the second, like the last five years in this last act was like, well, that's going to be my motivation because now I'm going to push harder. I'm going to negotiate for things I may have not negotiated for before because I need them or like my family needs them. It's not even me personally. So I think it's also a frame of reference, right? It can, what, it can be what gives you fear. It also can be what gives you courage. Because courage is not the absence of fear. Like, I mean, I think we have this false perception often in society that that's what it is. Like, the most courageous people we know are usually really scared. They're just, that's what bravery is. It's like having courage in the face of it. So. Uh, just so you know, I am writing that down because that <laughs> is. It's, uh, that goes back to writing your own story. What's the story Brilliant. you want to have told by you, right? Like, you don't want to have the story that's like, she lived a, a simple life and she <laughs> never did anything worth writing about. Like, <laughs> Ann and I do talk about these things all the time. So <laughs> I love it. This isn't abnormal, no. <laughs> all right. All right, Ann. Last question, and I end with this for everyone, which is, what is your best tip for making the world a better place? <sighs> Try to see people for where they are. Uh, this and in some ways, this goes back to diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, some of the, the folks I mentor and I invest in, uh, and most of it's happened organically, organically, are people of color, people who feel like the other in the setting that they're in. And so women, young people, black men, right? And I don't say this to be like, I'm some white savior. But like, what I found the most valuable in all of those settings is to see them for who they are and really listen. And try to understand, listen to understand. You can tell I like to talk. But in some settings, like seeing people for where they're already at and what they bring to the table and not assuming and projecting on them has the most effect on me as an individual. And then therefore, what we can offer the team, if you work together, your family, if you live and play together, like those other aspects of life, rather than just writing our own first drafts in our head of what we think is going on for that person. That's great. Absolutely true. And something that I see shine from you and all of your interactions. So thanks for that. I will right. add to that. Yeah, Some of absolutely. that was learned. And I think that's a, we have this, I say we very collectively, I mean, that's an unfair argument, but some people like me 
who tend to be driven in certain ways, um, aren't always the most empathetic, don't always listen well. I didn't, and I still don't, but I'm learning. And what I found is like, if you can learn it, then you can teach it. And that, that's almost more meaningful is like, then you can, you don't have to just say like, stay in this fixed mindset of like, well, that's the way I am. That's the way my brain works. That's the way I was raised. (laughs) That's not true. We can all grow and change and learn it, but like, has to be intentional. So true. So true. All right. I want to thank my guest, Ann Olinger. Again, the lead of product, VP of all things analytics. Thank you so much for joining us today and helping to continue to inspire me and hopefully our listeners as well. We're looking forward to watching the great ways and that you continue to innovate and inspire your team. I also want to thank our audience for joining us. If you want to reach out to me directly, feel free to email me at tama.looney at globalpay.com. That's it for our diversity and innovation series today. Tune in as we continue to talk to executives who refuse to just rent their careers and who inspire others to create their own paths, inspire innovation, and make our world a better place. Thank you again and so much. I love this series. Thank you, Tama. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or would like to suggest a topic or guest for an upcoming episode, we want to hear from you. You can reach us at tablestakes at zenial.com. Tablestakes is produced by Michael Kowalski. Our audio engineer is Joseph Hawk, and I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff.